0: I see all of this very rapidly evolving and much the way we dealt with in the pandemic emerging a couple of years ago, where these events are starting to take place right now and are shaping fast. How do we shift our risk assessment and control programs quickly enough to account for them?
1: Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host,
0: Tom Fox.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and I'm thrilled to have back with me Dan Zittig. Long-time listeners of this podcast knows he's one of my favorite guests. We always have a great conversation. But Dan, I wanted to start with you now finally have a new job title. So could you tell us what your new job <laughs> title is and what that role entails for Diligent?
0: Absolutely, Tom. Thanks so much. And I'm um, super excited to be back again. I am indeed have changed roles. As we discussed prior, I was previously serving as the CEO of Galvanize. But on the other side of our acquisition and integration by Diligent I have kindly been asked to take over the role of Chief Product and Strategy Officer for the Combined Diligent. So my role is in setting the direction for our market strategy, as well as the direction of our products and our product development for our GRC and ESG software solutions.
1: Well, Dan, today we're going to maybe take a look back and maybe a little look forward at one of the things I've always appreciated about what you guys do is you take some pretty comprehensive surveys and obviously focus for the GRC professional, but they're so comprehensive that someone like myself who has perhaps a broader remit in compliance can use the information. So and I guess we have to tie the survey now into what happened today and yesterday as we're recording it and how we're looking down the road because we're recording this a day after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And one of the biggest issues in 2021 were cyber breaches and cybersecurity. And we've talked about that in a prior podcast. So maybe if we could start off by talking about we were in work from home, then it became return to the office, and now it, it may be even something different in, in hybrid. And so we've seen risks shift. And what did the survey tell us about the shifting of those risks and are companies able to respond? to those shifted risks simply because of workforce they're using now?
0: Broadly, what we've seen is that shifting, as it related to cyber breaches and cybersecurity risks and the shifting of work from home, is we've probably done a pretty good job generally across organizations in managing the risk from a technical standpoint, strengthening endpoint security and these sorts of things in, in a now remote environment. But that amount of change left a lot of opportunity for missing communication, confusion, et cetera, that creates vulnerability to social engineering attacks and the the vulnerability of people. And I think as processes and things like that have changed and even to go with that, you know, the great resignation and just the turnover of people have created an awful lot of opportunity for people to be exploited and create cyber risk.
1: Dan, the survey revealed that more than half the companies in it uh, had said they had experienced a cyber attack or even a data breach in the last 18 months, leading to losses of literally hundreds of millions of dollars in total revenue. I guess the first question is, does that figure surprise you? And are companies finally getting the message that this is not an if, but a win?
0: I think that's the highlight. Exactly. The numbers don't surprise me. I think, to your point, the recognition that incident response and the preparedness for what do we do when the inevitable security breach happens, and how do we contain and minimize it, has been really the highlight. And I do think organizations are truly shifting in that direction, and I would argue without as effective as incident response has become, that $400 million or so that the survey revealed and losses probably would would have been much, much higher.
1: And one of the things I've been interested in in the visits I've had with you over the past several months has been the response of the GRC professional in, in cyber attacks, cyber breaches. Do GRC professionals see themselves as really on the front lines of a company's defenses, or do they still really say, well, you know, we have a CISO that looks at that and we're here to support him, but that's really outside the remit of GRC?
0: I think it's certainly within the remit of GRC. And I think most GRC professionals recognize that. And, you know, GRC professional broadly defined. Legal has taken a much greater interest, certainly, in how they can not only understand how the CISO is protecting the organization, but how they can help. Internal audit, I would put in the, the same category, various areas of compliance. I do think there's engagement from GRC professionals in that, in the idea of minimizing or managing cyber risk. Probably the question is really is, are we doing that in a way that would be, if I went and asked the average CISO off the street, are we being helpful to them and adding resources and controls and advice that are helpful? Or are we seen as largely a, a burden while they're trying to protect the organization? And I think there's still work to be done in making sure that everything we're doing from a policy and a controls and a compliance standpoint is actually adding value for the CISO and helping them deploy their programs as opposed to just feeling like they're being checked on by the police to see if they're doing it right.
1: Yeah, I'd like to now turn towards ESG. And this is once again a topic we've touched on over the past several months. We're probably going to be touching on it on the next several months if we get to visit for more podcasts. But I'm really concerned with how you or the survey perhaps showed how GRC professionals see ESG. And is this something that the collective we can help elevate and engage GRC professionals? Or what does the survey give you some comfort around, if any?
0: The survey gives me comfort that it's on the radar now. I think we were, in some respects, in many organizations, a bit behind There has been a huge capital inflow into investor funds and that sort of thing that are aimed at directing investment towards more sustainable businesses and that sort of thing that has really ramped up over the course of the last five years. And I think we were maybe a little bit late to the game, especially prior to the pandemic in saying, wow, you know, that amount of capital moving around. Is going to make this topic really, really important to our organization pretty quickly. And had we recognized that, we could have been a little bit further ahead of it. I think the survey does indicate now it is definitely on the radar, but to a large extent, I think that's come in large part due to regulation. So the EU has leveled quite a bit of regulation around ESG and environmental sustainability in particular, and seems very clear that the SEC here in the U.S. is going to do something similar. You know, I think that has motivated us to get in gear, but I do worry that it turns the exercise into a compliance exercise with some risk for greenwashing and those sorts of things. So I do think the regulatory ask for disclosures around topics of ESG is a great first step. I think the next step for us as GRC professionals is to embrace that and put in place Programs that are authentic in their intent to address ESG related
1: risks and concerns
0: versus purely making sure we can comply with the disclosure requirements.
1: Dan, you touched on one of the things that I think has really fueled the explosion in growth on ESG, and that's investor dollars. But it's not simply investment funds that are leading this effort now. Private equity companies, banks are looking at this issue if someone wants to borrow money. Even insurance companies are now assessing ESG risk as a part of an overall yep. insurance risk management review and strategy. It's a long-winded way of saying that if companies want to access capital, they're going to have to have an ESG program in place. Is that message, which I call the market message, is that helping to drive this really even beyond the regulatory framework you reference? Enormously so. I think
0: the regulatory stuff sparks a known need and then do think we're coming around to recognize it's not just consumers that are speaking with their dollars in in where in spending with sustainable and well-governed businesses, but all those forms of financing that you just described. As we continue to navigate periods of significant economic uncertainty here, and of course we have concern for where, where capital comes from, I think it is making ESG, a conversation, you know, for the CEO, not just the CFO or the sustainability officer. It's something that is moving quickly towards, it just needs to be integrated into our business in a way where we can demonstrate strong governance, strong practice all the time, because we will inevitably have needs for investor capital, bank debt, marketing programs with our consumers, etc. The demand we're able to actually demonstrate our commitment.
1: Messages I'm trying to get to the GRC profession is the GRC needs to be a part of this, and they need to be a big part of it. They need to be a part of it for many of the reasons you articulated, which is the validity of the ESG exercise, but also the technical expertise in corporate governance, in setting up policies and procedures, and really the things I see GRC professionals doing on a day to day basis in other areas. And ESG, in many ways, you know, there's not an ESG degree in college. There's not an ESG MBA. We don't have ESG people coming out of universities to run these programs because it's so new. It's a long-winded way of saying that there's really, at this point, no corporate overlord for ESG, or conversely, there's a lack of ownership. Many people may be assigned it, but, you know, you still have a day job. And so how do we maybe get the GRC professionals to see that, you know, you guys really are well-suited to, if not run this program, play a huge part in it because of the things you do every day. And don't be afraid of the E. You may not be an environmental lawyer, but you know how to run a program. You know how to set up policies and procedures. You know how to monitor. You know how to improve. You know how to test. And you know how to report. So how can we maybe have that conversation with the GRC profession that they have not only a huge role to play, but even conceivably an ownership role in this as well. I
0: completely agree and I don't think the sort of well I'm not an environmental expert is a reason to not take that sort of lead role and that that kind of responsibility. It's definitely a conversation that's going on at the board level about ESG. From there it is starting to translate into there being board committees as well as internally having ESG committees that include stakeholders across legal, sustainability, safety, audit, etc. I think trying to create that source or that center of excellence, whether it's an individual person or role, or that kind of an internal committee, I think is really important. Because there is too much inherent in this kind of nebulous term ESG, probably for any one person to run, but making it a business objective in the way that Profit is a business objective and splitting the responsibilities across those different lines of defense or those different functions in a way where somebody like a board committee or an an overarching internal ESG committee can get a combined view of how effective do we think we are from an ESG standpoint. And perhaps doing that relative to one of the, the many industry best practice frameworks that are out there, I think should be the goal if we have a committee or person who's driving that, the ask for that view, then we can split downstream the programs necessary across different functions in the organization to create that.
1: Dan, now I'd like to turn to uh, top risk in 2022. And as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, we're recording it the day after Russia invaded Ukraine. So one of the risks was geopolitics. So it seems to me that's a perfect time to for us to talk about how risks have changed because of that invasion and really how the GRC professional may need to think about responding. So obviously, economic sanctions can come into play. Your supply chain may be affected. Your customer base may be affected. But from where you sit and diligence sits, what are some of the top two or three things that, that you would counsel a GRC professional to start thinking about literally right now?
0: First and foremost, I mean there certainly has to be a discussion about heightened awareness for cyber breach. I think that's an an obvious one. What may be harder are the potential big impacts on the organization that aren't necessarily in the news the way cyber breaches are so even if your organization, if it's a reasonably large organization, even if you don't do any business in Russia or ukraine or or the region, you inevitably have, for example employees that have Family there, or you have vendors that have operations there, pivoting programs to evaluate these risks now, if you haven't already, is really important. so what's the potential level of disruption if we have meaningful number of employees impacted or employees who need to take time out because of family that are impacted How do we go back through our, our vendor risk assessment particularly? on things like the technology side, where many of our technology vendors have large employee populations there. What, what kind of third-party risk does that create and sort of service level risk and those sorts of things? So I see all of this very rapidly evolving and much the way we dealt with in the pandemic emerging a couple of years ago, where these events are starting to take place right now and are shaping fast. How do we shift our risk assessment and control programs quickly enough to account for them.
1: So one of the most prescient quotes I got out of the pandemic, Dan, was we've gone from disaster recovery to business resiliency, to business as normal. And you really articulated how you have to have processes in place to pivot to whatever, what we used to think of as a black swan event. And now it's just business as usual. And you touched on one, that I want to maybe expand upon a little bit, and that's workforce. You talked about it in the context of people who may have employees in Russia or Ukraine or other countries in that geopolitical area. But of course, and then you also touched on earlier the great resignation, but the workforce turnover, how do you see that as one of the top risks going forward? Or is it Kind of a summary of everything you've told us so far. I've actually seen, depending on which kind
0: of function you're talking about, ranging from internal audit to HR itself to others, I've seen quite a bit of shift towards a risk management approach to turnover over the course of the last year. And I think for a couple of reasons, as you described, there's events that are impacting our workforce. Russia, Ukraine is the most recent of those. Turnover is employee churn is higher than forecast at basically every organization I talk to. And so how does that impact operations? And then the sort of nagging threat of inflation. And if salary inflation continues at the rate at which it is now, what kind of budgetary issue does that cause us in our ability to fill or refill open positions? And for all of those reasons, it's worth not looking at it purely as an outcome, but as a sort of top 10 risk that should be covered as part of the risk management program.
1: And as a third top risk that's seen in 2022, it's increased regulation. And you mentioned particularly the EU around ESG, and they've led kind of the regulatory lead on that. And perhaps we'll get something from the Securities and Exchange Commission. But both in the EU and the United States, we've seen increased regulation around such disparate topics as human trafficking, and modern slavery to and a competitiveness. So I was wondering what the survey showed or what you're hearing literally from the marketplace about the increased regulations and how they relate to the risk for the GRC professional.
0: Yeah, those couple you gave there are really good examples. And in really in every regard, I would consider those to broadly be associated with ESG as well. Human trafficking and and those sorts of topics being a big part of a big part of governance and, and social governance i think that is the category of regulation that is changing the fastest i think it's the breadth of of where that's being implemented that causes such great concern so indeed to your point yes the eu and yes the sec are imposing these on large and publicly traded organizations but a, a number of these sorts of issues are coming through the the banking regulators as well through various industry-specific regulators and just the, the sort of the triangulation of saying, all of a sudden I'm being asked for some kind of disclosure about carbon, as an example, from multiple directions. It makes it an exercise where, geez, we're not just going to be able to fill out questionnaires or, or track in spreadsheets. I'm going to need a broader program for managing these shifting compliance obligations in a more nimble way because I'm getting multiple similar sorts of obligations coming through from multiple regulators where I need to map and be able to minimize the regulatory burden.
1: So, Dan, one of the things that, once again, we have touched on in several of our podcasts is real-time reporting capabilities for the GRC professional. And I think one of the things I know you have talked about this, you've tried to to work towards this, but how does a lack of real-time reporting capabilities hurt the ability of a, of a risk professional to give an accurate picture of risk to the board of directors? And I'll even make it more interesting by saying that's the G in ESG, because that's the risk professional communicating to the board in a way that they can, can properly oversee. So I was wondering if we might conclude with some of your thoughts on that topic.
0: Well said, it's it is the G and ESG is being able to communicate to the board a risk issue like this. And if I think about what's happening today in the in the Ukraine, whatever the impacts of this may be on the business, it's right now February twenty-fourth. So if I'm on a calendar year end cycle, it means the quarter doesn't end for another thirty-six days. And it's probably another thirty days or so past that when I have a board meeting. And at that point I will prepare a slide deck that has been stale for some period of time. When things move that rapidly, I just don't fundamentally believe that that's fast enough for governance in the future of where the world sits. So being able to, I would even maybe shift your question a little bit to say, risk professionals too often are asking, why don't I have real-time information instead of actually being the one out creating it, bringing in the technical skill necessary to be able to analyze data fast enough to get real-time insight and paired with then in turn, indeed, it, I think we need to move towards the board asking the question you asked, which is how do we get this information more real-time and how do we think about that in our, our board governance processes and shouldn't we be more open to that because governance will truly need to move at a speed much faster than what it has in the past enabling the board to be able to see indications of governance failing in between the board meetings is just as important as being able to discuss it after the fact when a board meeting occurs. And so that's certainly why I spend my time focused on technologies, because I think that's the tool that shifts the paradigm on how we think about governance and how quickly governance processes should move.
1: And unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on Diligent, what would be the best way for them to find out?
0: Thank you. Yeah, definitely visit us at diligent.com, spelled just like it sounds. We are the global leader in GRC software and certainly board governance, over a million users and 700,000 board directors around the world who use us. and, And we look forward to continuing to support the community, try and make that future governance or what we like to call modern governance a reality.
1: Well, Dan, thanks again. It's always a pleasure and I look forward to continuing this conversation.
0: Thanks so much, Tom. Enjoyed it as always. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.